Good morning. Why don't you stand with me as we sing? I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. share a few things with um, about Project Nick with you really quick. 
Um, our children that were sick at our China shelter are now better, and so that is such a blessing, and so that's um, really awesome what the power of prayer can do. So we're so thankful for all of you guys who prayed for them, and um, we just ask that you continue to pray for them. Um, our event yesterday, we had a bingo event. It was amazing. We raised over $1,000 for the kids in just two hours, so that's awesome. Um, just want to say thank you for everyone who came out and supported us. Um, our next event is coming up, though, um, June 13th, and it's our 5K trail run. I know that sounds a little scary. You don't have to run. You can go and walk, and it'll be a great time. We um, don't know all the details yet, but we'll let you know as soon as we can. Um, but that is June 13th. It's a Saturday. Um, and then we just wanted to say thank you for all of you who are um, continuing to support us, and we just ask that if you aren't, that you just pray about it and that you consider it, um, because when you give and when you support us, um, you're giving a child a life that they would have never had before, and so we just thank you for all of you who are, and um, ask that if you aren't, just to consider it and think about it and pray about it, and to continue to, continue to pray for our kids, so thank you. Thank you, Bailey. We always like to start with good news. That was a good song to start with. And then the good news about the uh, Project Nick thing and all of that. And the other good news is you are here. You are well enough to be here. You could be sick in a hospital somewhere. Thank the Lord you're here. We're glad that you've come to worship today. Guess we're really glad you've come to worship with us. Inside that worship guide is a little slip that says guest member response. We'd love for you as a guest even to fill that out if you would. And then you can drop it in the box at the doors you leave. At, at each door there's a box there where we give our offering each Sunday. But uh, we'd just like to know who you are. But welcome. Glad you're with us today. Two or three things I want to share with you. Our next Zing event is this coming Saturday, March the 7th. Zing is a time uh, where our church volunteers give parents a break. And this is done at no cost to the parents. It's from 5 to 8 p.m. at the Lee Summit Campus. And uh, to sign up for Zing, you uh, text to Zing to that number. If you would like to help, if you don't have children, you're eligible to help. Uh, in that event, you can text HELP to that same number and uh, then show up there at the, uh, at the campus at uh, Lee Summit. So it's from 5 to 8 p.m. this coming Saturday. Financial Peace video. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Are you really going to make the hard choices to change your life. We had 40,000 in student loans, uh -huh. 17,000 in cars. I owned a rental property. We in had a line of credit, just stuff. We had 16 credit cards. The proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes. We paid off $83,000. Wow, when desire comes. $144,000. When desire comes. $450,000 in the last seven years. Wow, it is the tree of life. God says this is how you get out of debt. You gotta run, 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 There is no doubt that this process called Financial Peace University works. The only question is whether you're gonna be involved. And so if you haven't signed up yet, now 
is the time. I like that guy. I got a little more hair than he does. Most people don't have that. But uh, notice inside the, the worship guide, that bulletin today, be sure and get that and look at the information concerning financial peace. Uh, check out the details about uh, the courses that we're going to be offering. You know, there are QR codes that you can scan into your phone to help you sign up. So uh, many of you may wish that you could help more. Sometimes it's our debt that's holding us back. Sometimes it's just how we uh, handle our, what we have. So financial peace has been proven to help. I encourage you. Many of us have already been through that. It's really a great course. So uh, check out the details in the bulletin about that. And speaking of uh, how you can help, I think maybe you noticed as you came in right outside these doors, there's a, a deal concerning our kids' fundraiser to help our third through fifth graders go to camp. So it's set up there in the, in the foyer there, so this way to help these kids go to camp. So look for the directions there. It tells you exactly what to do. So I hope you'll uh, take advantage of that and, uh, and help those kids. Also, I need you to mark your calendar for March the 21st. That's on a Saturday. Here at the Garden City campus from 5 to 7, there's going to be a little reception time as we celebrate the anniversary of Pastor Jeff being the pastor here for 20 years. He's been our pastor for 20 years. And so mark that date down, March 21, 5 to 7 p.m. here at the Garden City campus. So uh, hope you'll uh, remember that and, and set it aside and come and uh, let's celebrate. Not many churches get to have a pastor for 20 years. So uh, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the pastor you've sent, God. We ask today your blessing upon your word as he brings it to us. God, pour out your spirit upon our hearts today. And give your word that power to, to convict and convince today as we hear your truth. We come to sing your praises now, Lord. Accept the praise from our lips and our heart. We love you. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. God, what do you want to do in our heart today? Help us just right now to say, we surrender. Speak to my heart today, God, your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Waking up to a new sunrise Looking back to the other side I can see now with open eyes Darkest water deepest pain I wouldn't trade it for anything cause my brokenness brought me to you and these wounds are a story you use so I'm thankful for the scars cause without them I would 
skip over I think we owe in this song is the one that comes right after that bridge where it says I'm thankful for your scars it's only because of what he did for us that we get to be here today and we get to know that we can be clean in front of him despite of all the filth that we've done despite of all what's in our heart we can be clean because of what he did for us on the cross and so right now I want us to take a moment just to thank him uh you might have something else you need to pray with somebody else about, but we're going to take a couple minutes and just talk to our God and thank him for his scars and thank him for how he can heal in our lives right now. Thank you. 
you than the mountains that I face. Stronger than the power of the grave. Constant in the trial and the change. One thing remains. One thing remains. Sing that again higher. Higher than the mountains that I face Stronger than the power of the grave Constant in the trial and the change One thing remains This one thing remains Your love your love never fails, it never gives, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives, it never runs out on me.
never gives up and never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out on me. Kids, it's time for you to go to Children's Church, and the rest of us just take a moment to greet one another. I recently heard the story, it was told by a, a woman, we'll call her Liz. It's the story of her visiting some friends in northern Wales who owned a sheep farm. And she shared the story of how the sheep there are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to being eaten to death by insects and parasites. And so once every year, the shepherd has to take the sheep to this huge vat of antiseptic and completely submerge the sheep. So in order to save the sheep from death, the farmer has to actually hold them underwater in the antiseptic until they've been disinfected. Now, here's how she tells the story. One by one, the farmer seized the animals. They would struggle to climb out the side. And Mac, the sheepdog, would snarl, snarl and snap at their faces to force them back under. When they tried to climb up the ramp in a panicky way at the far end, the farmer would catch them, spin them around, force them under again, holding their ears, eyes, and nose submerged for a few seconds. As their master was pushing their head under, drowning them, at least as far as they could tell, their panicky little eyes would look up over the edge of the vat. I laughed every time I read that. Can't you see those, those sheep eyes that are as big as saucers as they're looking up over the edge of that vat? And she said it was easy to see what they were thinking. What is God doing. I think that's a beautiful story to describe those moments 
What is God doing? Anybody ever been there? Yeah. I would imagine a lot of us in this room have been there. And if not yet, I'm telling you, you probably will. And that's why I'm really glad that we get to be all together today because today we're going to talk about a life and a faith that is equipped to handle even those what is God doing kind of moments. So welcome. Garden City, welcome today. To the Adrian campus, we welcome you. To the Lewisburg campus, we welcome you. To Lee Summit, we welcome you. To our online community, we really are grateful that we could spend some time together today. We're on the same page. That's the series that we're walking through for 2020, where we literally are trying to stay on the same page as we read the story of God. And each week, we're we're reading through a next section of the story. Today, we have arrived at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to give you a little background before we actually dig into the text. Sometimes when you hear Deuteronomy chapter 6, you're going to hear the word Shema. The word Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word that means listen. That's what it means. And the reason it's given this name is because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, here's how the verse begins, hear, O Israel. So you get the picture, hear, O Israel, listen, Israel, that's where the name comes from. And what follows these words in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what is considered by a lot of people in Judaism to be the most significant text in all of the Old Testament. And here's why. Because if you want to know God, I don't mean just know some things about God, but if you really want to know God, this text sums it up. If you will listen. If you'll listen. Like the sound effects? Here we go. The Shema is actually three passages. When you hear uh, somebody refer to a prayer that's often called the Shema, it's based on the the Jews would take Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9, then they would join it with Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13 to 21, and then with Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 to 41. And what they would do is they would take all those passages and that would become this rather lengthy prayer that the Jews would pray every morning and every night. Every morning and every night. And one rabbi described it this way. He said, as soon as you are able to tell the difference between blue and white and blue and green, then you are to pray this prayer. His point was, as soon as there was enough sunlight that you could differentiate colors, we don't want you to put anything else before your day before you pray this prayer. So around sunrise. And then the same thing in the evening, just before you could no longer tell blue from white from blue from green, just before there's not enough sunlight to do so, you pray this prayer as the last thing of your day. 
So it becomes this picture of kind of like a bookend. It starts your day and it ends your day with a most powerful reminder. This text is a reminder of the depth of relationship that God wants with you. This text is a reminder of the depth of a relationship that God wants with you. And the whole idea is, I mean, what a better way to start your day first thought in the morning. What a better way to end your day. This is the way you're going to close it out at night. That all of your day would be framed by this most remarkable truth. That God wants this relationship of depth with you. So let me show you what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Here's how the whole verse reads. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one. So in a culture that the Jews found themselves where there were many, many gods, people are always constructing another idol, always constructing something else to to, to give their, their worth to. He's saying, no, there is just one God. We as we read the story of God, we, we know him. He is he is he is just one, but he is father, he is son, he is spirit. But this is the truth about who he is. So here's the first thing that I want you to write down. You got an outline today to fill in a few blanks. When it comes to knowing God, knowing God involves belief. But it is belief that is anchored in truth. Knowing God involves belief but it is belief that is anchored in truth. Not just any belief, but this belief must be correct belief. Why does that matter? Because our belief is not just this blind faith. This is is not blind belief. This is based on knowledge. This is based on truth. This is objective. Let, Let me describe it this way. I can't just say, I love my wife, Jen, for her blonde hair and blue eyes and pretend that I actually know her. You know why? Because she's actually a brunette. Well, right now, it's red. And it was blonde one time. Okay, maybe that's not a good example. Maybe that's not. Yes, I did get permission to use that line. I did. Because my marriage is good, and it's good for a reason, all right? But her eyes are brown, definitely. Here's the point. I can't just say who she is. Because who she is is factual. There is an objective component to who she really is. And I'm saying to you, the same is true of God. And where we get sideways sometimes is because we love to pick and choose who we want to make God to be. We love to pick and choose who we think God is. But I'm telling you, we have to grapple with all of who God actually is as he has revealed himself to us. 
And I can't give you a better reason if you ask me, Jeff, why are you guys doing this same page thing? Why are you reading through the entire story of God together? This would be the reason that I tell you because we want to know who God really is. Not just the way we have defined him to be, but we want to read his story and hear who he says he really is. In case you don't know, as we read through the scripture this year, we're using something called the Read Scripture app. If you search, simply read scripture, you're going to see this little icon. I want to encourage some of you to jump in with us. I realize we're a couple of months in, but I want to invite you to join us, pick it up where we are, and, and read the rest of the year with us as we read the story of God. Now, I've talked to several people who have been trying to read And they're kind of fighting because they're a little bit behind. Okay, here's the decision you got to make. If you want to catch up, it's okay to catch up. For some people, that might be a few days or a week or so, and they really feel like they can catch up. But can I also just free you up to tell you that if you are behind and you are fighting this, it is okay to push the button for today's reading and just Start from here, join with us, and read the story of God. Listen, listen, there are a lot of us that what holds us back is our pride. It's our pride. Because what we care more about is that at the end of the year, we can declare we read the whole story and we accomplished something more than we care about meeting with God today. Don't let your pride keep you from walking through this in a beautiful way. I encourage you, push the button, and let's find out who God is. Now, I'm not saying that just knowing a bunch of stuff about God means that you actually know God. However, it's not less than that. Because how do you know someone? You know things about someone. My question is, do you know God for who he really is or simply as you want him to be? If you want to know God... It is anchored in belief, but it's belief tied to truth. Let's keep reading. Watch verse 5. Love. That's a good word. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love. I want you to think about this, those of you who have reduced having something with God to maybe a mere religion of rules and regulations. Maybe you have reduced it to some steps where you can somehow earn the favor of God. Or maybe you're the person who's looking for those 50 things that you got to do to get God to do what you want him to do. Listen to me, if that's the way you're approaching this relationship with God, you are anchoring to a belief that is false. It's false. Because God says, here's where we start. It's love. It's real love. And this love transforms. 
Let's fill in some blanks. Knowing God involves love that is transformational. Knowing God involves love that is transformational. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Here's what he says. Look, God says, I have designed this to be about love. This is not about 50 things you do to get me to do what you want me to do. This is not about earning steps with you. This is about love. It's a love between you and me that is so extraordinary that you can't even imagine not telling your children about this. This is so good, you cannot imagine not impressing this upon your kids. And so from the dinner table to the drive to ball practice to the bedtime story that you want to tell them at night, this one thing, this relationship with God, this anchored in love relationship will be the constant thought and the constant conversation of your life. Knowing God involves love that is transformational. This one truth, a relationship of love with the creator and the sustainer of the universe, how could you not see that in everything that you do? How can you not see that in everything that you think? He says this, this will extend all the way to the gate. And when he uses the word gate in this passage, it is not talking about the little gate on your privacy fence in your yard. He's talking about the city gate. The city gate. He's saying this love is so real. This love is so transformational. It will affect your house but it will also affect everything that you do in life in a public kind of way. Your life will be loud regarding this love and everyone will know. A love that transforms every area of your life, your parenting, your work, your play. And I'm saying, can we see that? Because that's so far from the Sunday acquaintance that so many people seem to settle for with God. It's sort of this show up on Sunday thing and yeah, me and God are acquainted and I need to tell you today, God will not settle for such. But let's be honest. How Can a love be great when sometimes I don't understand what God's doing? Let's just call it what it is. How can love be great when sometimes we don't know if God is trustworthy? 
It's the same issue that we saw with God's kids last week when we were reading through the story last week and as they are making their trek through the wilderness, they don't don't know if they can trust God. And I'm saying if you're asking that question, you're asking a right question. How can a love be great when sometimes there's no trust? No relationship will reflect love if you don't trust, including a relationship with God Which brings us to the third statement that I want you to write down today. Knowing God involves trust in what I can and can't understand. Knowing God involves trust in what I can and I can't understand. I want to read just a a little section. I'm going to read another section of text to you. And look, we can't comment on all of Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. There's just too much of it. But I want you to listen specifically as we read these next verses. I want you to listen specifically for how serious God is about trust. Listen to what he says. Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Here's what trust means. Trust means don't cheat on God by giving your heart to the very things that he created and gave to you as a blessing. Don't cheat on God by giving your heart to the very things that God created and gave to you as a blessing. Sometimes people do this with relationships. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, children. These are blessings that God gives us, relationships that he gives us, but the next thing you know, we set them up as the center thing in our lives. We begin to put more value in them. We begin to put more trust in them. We begin to set them above a relationship with God. People do it with their work. They do it with a career, a a, a new job, a a better job, or maybe it's, it's a current job. This is where we put our trust. This is where we find our value, and before you know it, the very abilities and gifts to to actually work and do things, we suddenly have elevated that above the God who gave those things to us. We do it with school. I watch kids do this with school all the time, that you can see the pressure, the pressure that they have to perform, the pressure to achieve. Why does that occur? It's because we often take those gifts that God gives us to learn, but suddenly we are putting our value in how we perform to the fullest. This is what makes me valuable. This is what gives me worth. And if I can just perform at this level, 
And suddenly we have elevated those things to be our God. We do it with our hobbies. The next thing you know, we give our heart, our time, our money, our energy to things that they may be good, but they can't give you life apart from God. They will not satisfy the void inside. They will not bring you security and peace. Trust means I will not turn my back on him in order to trust the gifts that he gives me. God is serious about trust. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a, what's the word? Jealous God. He's a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Trust means, he says, you're not going to give your heart to anything else as God. Why? Because don't miss the point. God is a jealous God. Come on, he's jealous for you. That's the point. And he will not stand by while others or even you seek to wreck that relationship. Now, we, we kind of get this when it comes to the other relationships in our life. I mean, I, I don't ever want to go here, but my wife, if she ever saw me right, a little too friendly with someone else flirting, right, with somebody else laughing a little too long, hugging a little too long, speaking a little too openly or affirmingly towards, towards some other woman, you know what she gets to do? Call me on it. Full stop, no questions asked. She gets to say, Jeff, this isn't adding up. Because you said that your heart is for me, but I'm watching you begin to hand your heart to someone else. What's going on? She gets to call me on it. Why would she call me on it? Because she loves me. And I'm saying to you today, your God, he is good. Your God, he is powerful. Your God, he is faithful. But do not miss this truth in what you believe. Your God, he is jealous. And he will not just stand by and let you give your heart that you said you pledged to him to anyone else. So why in the world would I ever trust somebody more than God? Why would I ever arrive at some place that I would trust something, someone else more than him? And here's what, I, here's what I think we tend to do. We have a really bad habit of evaluating the big in light of the small rather than evaluating the small in light of the big. And here's what I mean. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, there is this remarkable statement that the writer makes. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, here's what he said. He who did not spare his own son. Now, who's the he? That's God, God the Father. Who's the son? That's Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the greatest news that we know. 
A God who would die for us, a God who would, who would be our substitute, he becomes sin for us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's his argument. He's making an argument that if God did this biggest of all big things, if God would go so far that he would give of himself to die in our place, he would become sin, though sinless. If God would do this gigantic thing, then why would we ever think that he's not going to be good and faithful and gracious in all the other things? But what happens is... I get in my situation, I get in my circumstances, which are smaller, and I tend to evaluate who God is by where I'm at. And I'm looking over the edge of the vat going, what is God doing? It feels like he's drowning me. And so I evaluate the big, who is God, in light of my little blip in time versus choosing to look at the cross, the biggest big there ever was, and I look at who he is there, and out of that, I choose to evaluate the small. Now again, it's easier said than done when you're the sheep being held underwater. When you don't know how to translate anything else other than I'm drowning. Remember the, uh, the lady who told that story at the beginning of our, our talk? Her name was Liz. Well, her full name is actually Elizabeth Elliot. And Elizabeth Elliot knows what it is to suffer and to ask the question, why? Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot's first husband was speared to death by a tribe of people of whom this family, the Elliots, picked up their lives and moved into in order to share the good news of Jesus among a people who had never, ever heard of Jesus. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't like know how to get much more. Wow, that sounds godly to me. A family that moves into a tribe of people who have never, ever heard about Jesus. That's why they went. They pour their lives in and... He is killed by the very tribe to which he goes to share good news. What is God doing? Her second husband dies of cancer. What is God doing? On reflection... These are her words, her words. There will be no intellectual satisfaction on this side of heaven to that age-old question, why? 
But although I have not found intellectual satisfaction, I have found peace. She said, the answer I say to you is not an explanation, but a person. Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. It is he who was the word before the foundation of the world, suffering as a lamb slain. And he has a lot up his sleeve that you and I haven't the slightest idea about now. He told us enough so that we know that suffering is not for nothing. I'm telling you, that's some very wise words from a lady who is qualified to speak those words to us. She says, come on, God has told us enough about the big picture. He has. He's told us that he is with us. He has told us that suffering is is never for nothing when he is attached to it. He has told us that there is more than this life. There is more than this temporary body. He has told us enough about the big picture. But I have a way of distrusting because I can't understand what's going on in this little blip of time. Do you guys enjoy leap day? It's a funny thing. To me, this funny little extra day on the calendar, right? They tell you your whole life that A year's got 365 days, and then you find out they're lying to you, right? There's a few more hours, and they got to make that right every every four years or so. But for me, um, leap day is a little different. Because for me, the last time leap day occurred, which was four years ago, on leap day, I was actually standing with my family around a hospital bed, and on leap day, I watched my sister take her last breath in this temporary body. So I'm saying, during those times when you feel like your shepherd is submerging your eyes and your nose and your mouth in a vat of antiseptic and you just want a sign, you just want a reason, you just want some affirmation as to why it's this way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think especially in times of loss, some of you have lost kids, you've lost parents, Here's what I've come to understand. And Elizabeth Elliot is a lot more qualified than me to make the statement. But the likelihood of me understanding all the why assumes that a sheep is somehow capable of going toe-to-toe with the intellectual rigors of the shepherd. 
And the truth is, God is so much the greater intellectually than you. He is so much greater the mind than me. There is no reasoning on God's level at those moments that is ever going to make full sense to my sheep brain. But thanks be to God. I'm testifying here today that he will give you something better than a sign, better than a reason, and better than an affirmation. He is a God who will give you more than you can ask or imagine because he will give you himself. And he, the shepherd, will be with you Jesus the Christ, who pledges to never, ever forsake us, we get Jesus. And I have learned that in a lot of circumstances, that is better than any reason that could be given. If I had my reason, but I didn't have Jesus, I'm really not sure what I would, where I'd go from there. If I had a sign that was miraculous, but I didn't have the presence of Jesus, I'm really not sure how I would make it through some of the things that I see happen in people's lives all the time. Following God means trust. And there's trust because I know he knows more than me, not the other way around. And when I don't understand, I know he's good. Why would I ever think that he would harm me when I consider what God has done for me? And that's where this chapter wraps up. So a few more verses. And I'm going to give you one more remarkable truth. Verse 20. In the future, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. This is such an awesome piece of the, the Shema. A lot of people never get this far in reading it, but I love the scenario, the picture that's set here. When your son comes to you and says, why are we following God? When your daughter comes to you and says, why are, why are we doing these things that God tells us to do? You know where we tend to jump as parents? Because God said so. That's where we go. Why would we do this? Because God said so. It's the same thing we give them when we tell them to do something and they don't want to do it. They're like, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. What I love is that Moses doesn't go to that line. And the Bible doesn't go to that line first. When the son asked the question, why? 
Do we trust God? Why do we follow God? Why are we doing what God says we should do? You know where his dad takes him? His dad says, son, let me tell you a story of who we used to be. Let me tell you a story of when I was a slave in Egypt and I was owned by somebody else. They owned everything about us. They they were harsh to us. They mistreated us. We were enslaved. But God... But God reached in and he brought us out. He sent Moses who would be the lead and he rescued us from Egypt. He he redeemed us. He set us free and he provided a new home for us. He provided a place that was promised us. And son, it wasn't because of anything that we did. It wasn't because of anything we earned. It was because of who God is. And after the dad answers the question that way, then he says, so we're going to do what God says do. And can I tell you, folks, that's the gospel. That is a picture of the gospel. This good news of what Jesus has done for us, that we who were slaves and had no hope of freedom, but he rescues us out He sets us free and even promises a home for us. It is the hope that we look toward. But can I tell you, it's always been this order in Scripture. Don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. Sometimes what you hear is that when you read the Old Testament, it's law and then then grace. When you read the New Testament, right, it's law first and then it's grace. It has never been law first and then grace. Old Testament, New Testament, it has always been grace first and then law. And that's the story he's telling here. God in his grace, he rescued us out. Therefore, son... Let's do what God tells us. Let's trust a God who is that good. Let's let's trust a God who would be with us and would rescue us. Never anywhere does God ever say, do this and I will accept you. He always says, I will accept you. Now, here's how you should live. It's never been about earning first. It's always been about grace first. Knowing God involves grace all the way through. For a long time, before Nick came along, my son, I was a dad to all girls. And there were a couple of times just in my life and in ministry that guys within the church would, would say, hey, you think we could sit down sometime and just have a cup of coffee? Because, Jeff, I want to know how to be a dad to girls. I, I want to know how you get their heart. And I jokingly say, I think sometimes they're disappointed when I, I agree to sit down with them and they come with their big giant list of, you know, 50 things to do to get, get your daughter's heart when usually I, I just bring a few. And I tell them things like, you want to get to the heart of your daughters, you got to demonstrate a physical presence. I don't care what else you do, if you are not physically present, you will never gain the heart of your daughter. 
So I want you to evaluate what your work is, how much time that takes you away. I don't care how much money you make. You got to decide if it's worth you not being physically present with your daughters when they're young, right? I'm talking being able to hold them. I'm talking being able to hug them. I'm talking being able to, in our household, when, I, when my girls were really little and I would walk in from work, I would hear the words come from their mouth, Daddy, let's wrestle. That translates wrestle in the Hebrew. Daddy, let's wrestle. And when they were little, little bitty, what that meant was it was all on in the middle of the living room floor. And I would get down on the floor and they would get down on the floor and we would wrestle. And they would roll all over me and I'd roll all around and not only in that whole process are you teaching them about appropriate touch, which needs to be taught again by dads, but you're also allowing them to literally feel loved. I would say you gotta have some consistent values. I mean, you gotta, you gotta determine in your household And I hope you determine it by what God determines, what's right, what's wrong. You got to be consistent in the discipline because if they don't know you're trustworthy in those things, then the third and what I think might be the most valuable truth that I would give you, strategic grace. Strategic grace. And I could share a number of stories today about when God allowed that to happen in my house. But instead of embarrassing my daughters today, I'm going to tell you a story that another preacher and his daughter tells, and I'll pick on another preacher's kid today. He said, years ago, one of my daughters came home from school and showed me a test she had failed. I saw the disappointment in her eyes, but also the fear of how I was going to react. She and I both knew that the F was a result of laziness not incompetence, so we both knew that consequences were in order. But that night, I decided to use the opportunity to teach her about grace. And instead of disciplining her, I took her out to dinner, a movie, and ice cream. And I explained that I was doing this this time to illustrate what God has done for us through Christ. Despite our sin, he withholds his wrath and showers us with blessing. He said, we had a great evening, but the best part was the next day. You see, when her friends said goodbye to her the previous day, they knew she was on her way to tell me about her failed exam. So when they asked her how it went the next day, she was able to tell them what I did And she explained the gospel to them. She said their response was, I wish I had your dad. I wish I had your dad. I'm going to be really bold with you in this moment, but my prayer is that it is boldness for the greatest cause I know. Some of you never ever talk about 
your heavenly dad to the people that you encounter daily? And the question needs to be raised. Do you know your heavenly dad? Like, really? Because if you know this heavenly dad who is good, who is faithful, who is trustworthy, if you really know this heavenly dad who rescued you out of a hopeless situation, who has embraced you, adopted you, loves you, if you know this heavenly dad, you will share his story and people around you will respond with, I wish I knew your dad. And you can say, you can. It starts with believing. But it's correct believing. But when you believe, it leads to a love, a love that you get to know him and you realize you can't stop loving him. It becomes transformational. It'll change how you feel about being a parent because all you want is to get this news to the heart of your kids. It'll change how you work, the the job that you have because all you're going to care about is you want these people to know about a heavenly father who loves them. It'll change how you see your city. It'll change how you see the world. And when you then find yourselves submerged in the vat of antiseptic, gasping for air, because suddenly you're in this moment that you can't explain what God is doing, you will look to a cross and you will remember, always interpret the small in light of the big. Let the cross of Jesus give you clarity that you can trust him whether you can understand it or you don't. Why? Because your relationship with God is built on a foundation of his grace. It's not your effort. It's not your record. It's not your abilities. It's not your faithfulness. It is his grace. And when his grace is the foundation in your life, you will find he will always be bringing you back, back into his arms, back into his fold. Grace will fuel you to live with freedom, to live with righteousness, to live this hope-filled, grace-drenched way that when you live so loudly, the people around you will respond simply, I wish I had your God. Know God for who he is. Love God with all you are. Trust God with all you have. And grace will lead you all the way. In light of what we have heard from God today, what do we need to ask of him? There are some of you in the room today, some of you who are listening online today, there has never been a time in your life that you have believed like Scripture defines believe. This is not a mental uh, 
acknowledgement that there is a God. This is, this is a belief that says, I want to entrust my life to him. And there may be some of you who today, that's where you need to start. It's from your heart to God. I tell you this often, it's not about your magic words. It's not about whether or not you can say it eloquently enough to get God to hear you. No, he's the God who hears you now. He hears the cry of a heart to him. And I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I, I beg you to do that. God, I, I want to trust you. God, I believe that you love me because I see the big. I can't explain why you would love me that much, but I, I see it. And the best I know how today, I'm asking that you would forgive me, that you would take over me, and I want to be yours. I want to be with you forever. He will hear your prayer today. He will hear your prayer. For some of you, maybe you know him, but you are in the vat. And you're looking up over the edge, asking the question, what is God doing? And if I could just have a reason, if I could just have an answer, if I could just have a sign. And you know what? Every once in a while, sometimes he gives us those. But I'm promising you, none of those compare with him. His presence, his love, his promise to never let you go. We're going to sing that truth here for a few minutes. No matter how difficult the moments, he, he is with us. I, don't want, I want to encourage you that your heart may be today. You just need to praise him for that truth. You, you're in it. Praise him for it. You may need some prayer today. There are going to be some people who are around the, the edge of this room. We'd be honored to pray with you. God, will you help us today to listen? And as we hear your truth, will you give us faith to follow? Let's stand together as we sing it together. I love you guys. Thank you for listening today. There's a grace when the heart is on the fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be in this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminding Of how I've been set free is across the bears of burden where another died for me there is another in the fire
Thank you. 
Cause I know that's where you'll be I count the joy of every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I count the joy of every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I count the joy of every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. Sing out. I am blessed, I am Today's bottom line is, forgive others because God forgives you. And parents, ask your kids, why does forgiveness matter? Thanks for joining us. See you next week.